it's that time of the week. It's the time to visit your favorite barbershop, your favorite shisha joint, or you know what? You got your people around and you're about to get the bride going. Welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. We're so happy to have you join us this week. We have the regular starting lineup here with us. We have Courtney Fries, the only one amongst our team to have won a title, to have played professional football at Manning Rangers in South Africa, where he won the Premier Soccer League. He's flanked by our North African football expert, the editor of kingfoot.com, Ahmed Youssef. And rounding out our back four today is Francis Nguyen, a loud, a proud, intelligent Cameroonian who works as a sports media executive on the continent and around the world. And if you're wondering who I am, I have the privilege of hosting the podcast. My name is Zain Nabi, football fan, Rose Glen under 14B, right back, who held the record for the number of red cards at his club. But like you, I love the game. And today, we have one of Francis's countrymen on our show. The iconic, the philosophical, the free spirit, Benoit Asso Okado. It was such a fascinating conversation with Benoit. We spoke about Tottenham, of course we were going to do that. But what will really open your eyes are his views on France. The country he was born in, yet the country he has no allegiance to. And you'll also be intrigued to hear about why he turned down a boot sponsorship because he did not want to be caged. At On The Whistle, we pride ourselves at being a voice for Africans. And you're going to hear from a truly authentic voice today. And of course, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a rating. Honestly, it helps people find us. And you know what? Hit us up on our social media accounts. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. OTW underscore podcast for Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to join the debate and the discussion on our Facebook group, please just search for On The Whistle Podcast. Now it's time for the big interview this week. We certainly hope you enjoy it. We loved sitting and talking and chewing the fat with Benoit. Well, guys, it's that time of the week. It's on the whistle time. And with us today, we have a very special guest, Benoit Asso Okado, a man who starred in Tottenham and wore the Cameroonian jersey with so much pride. We are so happy to have this icon, this thinker, this man who, unlike Francis, who drives around in a Bentley, would take his Oyster card and travel around <laughs> London. Benoit, thank you for joining the show. How are you? Where are you coming to us from today? Uh, hi. Um, I'm okay. I am in France at the moment, in the north France, where there is no sun, but I am okay. It's good. You lived in London for a long time because we never have the sun here, hence my uh, lack of a tan. <laughs> that's why I chose to play for uh, in London, because there is no sun. You're in France now, but maybe give our, our, our listeners an idea of, of what you've done since football. Where has Benoit Asso-Okoto taken the most amazing hair in football? Uh, me? Yes, you. I don't know if I was the most amazing hair in football, but I was pretty proud of them. <laughs> so, hello, Benoit. How are you? Hi, Francis. I'm good. Thank you. I hope you too. 
Uh, no complaints. I have sun where I am in London. <laughs> so I'm sorry for you guys in London and in Arras. Uh, I'll send a little prayer for you. Um, just could you maybe help us today and tell us a little bit about uh, what you're up to these days? I mean, like uh, what's keeping you busy? You know, you're no longer playing. So are you playing, but maybe a different type uh, of football or? You know, it's very, it's very strange. Because um, wh when I was at the end of my career, I used to see many footballers or ex-footballers, and it was very strange for me. There was uh, most of them, they was fat. So I do. I'm pretty sure as I do more sport as before. I run. I go to the gym. I play uh, with amateurs. But I run a lot, and I try to keep myself fit. That's well, how I keep busy myself. Okay, that's interesting. So you didn't, you don't want to. I, I think a lot of former players think, okay, now I don't have to <laughs> I eat. I don't have to. So they've maybe done it maybe since they were 12 or something, and then they think it's time for me to relax. But you instead, you're working harder instead now? Yeah, but uh, I think my advantage i don't smoke i don't drink i don't do party i am uh, very simple so i just enjoy life and uh, i am i am happy when i go when i go back at home and i am tired by uh, a footing or something like that i know you're a big uh, baby foot guy <laughs> beating everybody in your town already or <laughs> Because every time I came up to visit you or anything, I, you're always having a competition and I never understood. Yeah, but now I just change of, uh, of sport. I don't play baby table football anymore. I play ping pong because nobody was at my level in a table football. So I change to compete. <laughs> That's interesting. So tell us, what's a typical day like for you now? Let's say it's... a. Uh, before maybe Saturdays or Fridays and Saturdays were a bit different for you maybe for 15 years. You'd be uh, preparing to travel somewhere for a game or... So now what are Saturdays for you now? Now it's a little bit similar. I, I just went my, uh, my amateur game Sunday morning. Sunday, yeah, Sunday morning, exactly. Okay. <laughs> but it's just more fun. That's why I wait, uh, I wait this, uh, this game. But tell me something, though. I remember we used to have some conversations and a lot of people uh, maybe didn't understand something you used to say about football, um, about your attitude to your professional game and your attitude to the sport itself. Are you playing football now with amateurs because you, or let's say non-professional football now, because that's the football that you like? And that's the one that you're maybe passionate about and maybe not so much the professional game. Because some people, mean, even me sometimes, I never really understood what it was you used to say. But I think I got the feeling about it. But when you're playing now with, say, friends or these non-professional, how do you feel about that sort of football? You know, I'm pretty sure as for everyone, professional football is a job. It's a good job. You can like or love your job, but still a job. 
and Sunday morning when I wet my uh, my game with amateur, it's cool because if I don't want to go, I don't go. If I want to be late of 45 minutes, I just said, sorry. If I want, I don't, huh? but if I want to start the game by smoke, I smoke. All is cool. That's why it's funny. I see every everything before the game. I, before the game, at the half time, and at the end. That's why it's funny. That's why I can't wait to play this game. But when it's a job, there is some people over your head who wait a good result. You know what I mean? So it's a cool job, but you can have a fun, but it's not the same fun as with Fuen or stuff like that, you know? Benoit, um, I, li I like your perspective at the moment about how you see football, because as you say, you see it as a job. It's a good job. But do you miss professional football? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I miss only the Premier League. And not the Premier League of now, because now there is camera everywhere, yeah. etc. The Premier League from 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. I just miss this football. When I see the Premier League at the TV, I say, oh, la, la. I, if only, but I know I can't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Um, it has become a, a, a bit more difficult. But when you look at, as you say, you play some amateur football now, and you played professional football before, which one do you actually enjoy the most? You know, you can't choose because it's two experiences very different. Mm. In amateur, you, you will never play in front of 50,000 people. Mm. And when I was professional, I was like, oh, I can, wait. I can wait to play in amateur because it's funny. But mm. when I speak with all the amateurs, they said, man, you were so lucky mm. to play against Manchester United, Manchester City, you play in Enfield, we see only this stadium at the TV. Mm. And you was lucky to play in this kind of stadium. Mm. So, football, professional football was a fantastic experience. Uh, you, you mentioned how you enjoyed the Premier League you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Is that because the Tottenham team then that you were in was a very good side and as a Spurs fan, it was one of the best times we've had. Is that what drove it? You had a good team, you know, you're playing well. Is that why you enjoyed it? Yeah, that's why I didn't change a club. I, do, I, do, I did only eight years Tottenham and one year QPR because I used to enjoy in, uh, in Tottenham. Mm. Good team when we... We had maybe four or five very difficult games in the season. In the season, but when you play with uh, Gareth, Modric, Rashford, Adebayor, our team was uh, was was a good good team. It was, so, it was, it was one of my favorites. Um, as a Spurs fan, it was one of my favorite uh, teams we had. Who who was the best player you played with there? You know, who was the person you said, "Well, wow, this player is amazing." 
I'm gonna tell you Modric, but Van der Vaart was not bad as well. Yeah. You know, with some players, we had a, a challenge because when I give the pass to someone, I like to give the pass very hard. <laughs> If you miss the control, it's not my problem. My pass is on you. <laughs> but with this guy, Rafa Van der Vaart, he didn't miss one control when I give him the ball. Hard, no hard. I give my best to give to give him the, the pass. But every time, he used to control the ball perfectly. I say, yeah. oh, this guy is good. <laughs> no, he's, he's very... And I think um, one, of, one of my most interesting things about that Spurs side was how you're, you were the left-back and you, were, you, know, you took that position. And you were the reason why Gareth Bale couldn't play at left-back And they had to play, Harry Redknapp had to play him higher up. And then Gareth Bale went on, you know, to be one of the best midfielders and attackers because of you, right? Does Gareth Bale I don't ever, know. I don't get, know, but he, he was you? good at the beginning, I think. Does, does he ever call you and say thank you for, for making this to me? Or? <laughs> no, you know, football, you don't have uh, really a true friend in football. You friend with the uh, person when you when you see him every day but when you change of club you don't have news of anyone so that's why yeah. i say i don't have friends in football yeah the reality is like that i remember i read an article once you said your only the only player you have is adult or your number as a friend or is that still the, the case or um i know i used to know him when he was in Lens. he was very young you know mm. so I just know, okay, this guy is Adele, but we had five years, uh, I was five years older, so was not really my friend. Mm -hmm. And when he came to London, okay, you speak French, I speak French, we're going to be friends, you know? Yeah. And then it's the same. He changed club and you, lo you lost him. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Did you, and did you, um, you know, during that time in Tottenham, you obviously... Were you playing well? Did you have a lot of interest from other clubs? Did, did any club want to you know, buy you or were you, you know, saying, I'm going to stay at Tottenham? Um, when you are in Tottenham, well, you can go in, uh, in England. Or where I can go in England. If I want to go to City, they had a good left back. Man United as well. Mm, Chelsea as well. So it was difficult for me to go in a better club as Tottenham in England. And um, I'm going to tell you a, a true story. One day, my agent called me. He was in Italy. My agent called me and said, okay, there is one club who wants you. I said, okay, I'm not a big fan of Italy, but I listen. He said, okay, they want you but they wish as you cut your hair. Really? I said, I said why? He said, because if, if he spend money on you and you have a, an afro, it's not cool, you know, for the fans. And I said, yeah, but the blonde guy in, uh, in Central Defend, uh, Defense, they, they don't ask him to, to cut the hair. Yeah. He said, yeah, I know, but they, it's why they ask me. If you can cut the air, I say, man, give up. I stay in England, no problem. Yeah, 
I think it's the, it's the principle, right? You don't want to, you know, you, that's you who you are. You're not going to change yourself for, for another club, but yeah. And and when you were at uh, Tottenham, they had a, you know, you went, you started with Martignol and then um, you moved on to eventually Redknapp and then AVB. Who for you was the best manager and why? Between the Redknapp, Martignol and uh, yeah. AVB? Oh, was it, yeah, and also there was uh, um, uh, Juan de Ramos as well, I think, for a short time, yeah. Okay. We forget about him. <laughs> Don't ask him about Juan de Ramos. <laughs> okay. I will, uh, I will explain to you. Martignol can be the best manager for me because I was, uh, was my first year, so my first two years in England. So maybe sometime I didn't play, or maybe sometime I didn't understand some stuff because I was new for England. So with Martignol was so-so. When Harry Rennap, uh, then Ronde Ramos came to England and he didn't understand how England worked, how an English team work. Mm. He, he told me as I play too hard in training. I said, no, you will see in the weekend when you're going to play Bolton, you're going to cry when your player in your team, we said, oh no, they are too tough for us. You need to, to have some guy who puts the feet on the ball, you know. And him, he didn't understand English football. Then Harry Rennap came, he knew English football, and he understand me. If I don't want to smile, he, he don't care. He asks you just one thing. From the first minute to the 94 minute, to be good. After or before, if you're not happy with something, he, he don't care. And then... He leave you alone all the week. If you want to speak with him or no, he's cool. And is what I used to need when I used to play in England. AVB, he didn't understand English team, an English team. He, start, he, he came to the club and tried to change everything. And when I used to know as AVB, don't believe in me, didn't believe in me, I explained to him something to make him better. And I explained to him, you know, you don't need to be the best manager of the tactic. You just need to have uh, 22 players who follow you with uh, eyes closed, you know. If you do, if you do, if you want to change Small thing by small thing is going to be okay for you. But for him, you know, when you are a manager, you are the boss and you know everything and he starts to change everything and nobody used to like him and uh, the, the team uh, give, him, give him up with him, you know. So for me, Harry Rennap was, uh, was the best for, for me. Uh, Benoit, just just coming in and, and continuing with Spurs, um, you know, in football, you have different partnerships. Who was the best person that played ahead of you 
in central midfield that worked well with you and who was the person that played best with you to the right of you at center back who were those partnerships that worked very well with you uh i i don't remember <laughs> but i think for me the best defense was dawson at ludley king mm. was very cool for me and uh, on the left side was with gareth mm-hmm. maybe as you said i make him good but he used to help me a lot so mm. was a good go- co- combination you know because when i look at your statistics um and 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 i look at the the, the athlete you are and just listening to yourself earlier you said you like to run uh, during the 2013 season you actually had more goals than any other time uh, what happened that season that made you have more goals than any other time oh maybe just the confidence maybe just the confidence or when you speak with a uh... Or when you watch your game, you say, oh, maybe you, you, you need to go forward a little bit more. Mm. And now the defender is not just a defender. He has to cross, he has to score as well. So this season was, uh, was my season. <laughs> and there's just one more thing I want to throw, throw in. I'm looking at your period in English football, which is very aggressive football, defending very few yellow cards i was actually quite shocked you need to be cheeky (laughs) (laughs) is that because you always got yellow cards or my career was littered with it (laughs) (laughs) that that's why i don't like football now because there is camera everywhere Mm. Mm. that's why yeah so that means if you were playing now var would be called every few minutes where you kick people <laughs> behind and the referee's not looking or yeah football now is not cool it's not cool i was gonna say um benoit i think you're alluding to the fact that you're a master of the dark arts on the field you did the things that nobody sees <laughs> you know sometimes you play against players who are very good you need to to find something to to win against them. You were the, who was the best player that you came against then? If you, you know, you've obviously played a lot of good players. Uh, uh, you know, maybe not everyone considered him like the best player, but for me it was difficult because he can play left foot and right foot. You know? And um, was uh, I prefer to have a fast guy but who go all, all the time on the right as to have a smart guy who can play, who, who can go on the left or who can go on the right. For me, it's very big trouble, this kind of player. And the, this guy, he, he was in prison a few years ago. I don't know. Uh, Johnson from Adam uh, Johnson. City? Adam Johnson. Uh, yeah, Adam yeah. Johnson, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of player, I, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. And um, going, going back to your time at, at Spurs, you, you're very you're influential in the Champions League year that, mm-hmm. in 2010-2011. Played against you know, Inter Milan, AC Milan, Real Madrid. Who kind of, what was your favourite game out of all of that? And you, or, yeah, which game was the, the most fun for you? Uh, I think it was... Uh... <laughs> 
was uh, against uh, Inter Milan. Inter from uh, Samuel Eto was uh, was a, even if I can compare myself with him, but was a pleasure a pleasure to to win against him. You know. Yeah. That that country rivalry. You can always when you meet each other say I beat you. Yeah, exactly. But even him after the game used to laugh about it because. He, he he won the World Cup maybe one or two times already. So he said, he's good, son. Keep going. <laughs> and, and you were in that amazing game when we lost 4-3 against um, Inter Milan. But it was one of the best you know, turnarounds. And, you know, did, you, did you think at the end you could have won it? or? Oh, with 10 more minutes, yes, yeah. definitely. So with close. Minutes, definitely, yeah. yeah. But, you know, was our first uh, Champions League. We didn't have experience. Yeah. But we, have a, we had a good art, you know. And the Premier League was so intense, if you compare with the uh, Calcio. So at the end, all the, all the old papa was tired, you know. <laughs> when you... When you spoke about your time at Spurs. You were answering Ahmed earlier about Raphael van der Vaart. You're talking about Modric. You're talking about Bale. I've always sat on the sidelines and watched that very successful Spurs team you played in and felt like Modric was the tactician really pulling the strings from his position. Um, was it really the case or was there more to it in, in the team that you played in that was so good? Uh, but You know, to when you play a game Saturday with Modric and you play the next game without Modric, you can see the difference. So I'm pretty sure as he, he had a, a very important uh, role in the, in the team. I'm, he's 200% sure, sure. And you spoke about how Harry Redknapp was able to get your confidence up. Um, what is one of your favorite memories of Harry Redknapp and, and working with him at Spurs or one of your funniest stories? What was, what was, um, you know, your, your favorite, your favorite memory um, of him? You know, we used to play uh, Watford and uh, Harry Redknapp got uh, an accent, you know, I don't know from where East London or West London, I don't know. And, uh, my English is not so good. So if you speak slowly, it's okay. But Ari Rennab, don't take all the time, the time to, to speak slowly, to explain, you know. And uh, we was before the game and he tried to explain uh, one tactic, you know, on corner. So I look at him and I said, yeah, with my, with my head, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And on my left, I, I uh, was uh, Scott Parker. And at the end, I said to Scott, did you understand something? He said, man, I understand nothing. I said, oh, cool, cool. <laughs> and he looked at, look at us and he saw as we didn't understand, you know. And he said, ah, oh, give up, just play. I said, okay, cool, we, we're going to play, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, with this kind of thing, you give 200% for him, you know, because you can love with your manager, you know. 
And, and talking about laughing with your manager, Tottenham have replaced Maurizio Pochettino with um, Jose Mourinho. Do you think Jose is the guy who can come in there and take Tottenham to a major trophy? You know, when it is exactly uh, what I explained with Ari Renap. If this guy, Jose Mourinho, can bring all the group to follow him, even if you close your eyes and say, don't worry, follow me, yeah, definitely he will get something. And the team is better every year. Even if your tactic is less good, you need the love of your group. You will go far, far, uh, you will go far away with the love as with your tactic, you know? So Completely agree with that. If you can lead a change room and you can have men who follow you or women who follow you or both, you're going to be more successful than the smartest person in the world. Exactly, because after the player don't play for, the, for a manager anymore. They play for a kind of friend, you know? And is what, is what uh, happened with uh, Ari Rennap. You can, you, you can call him for... Oh, I'm going to be late. He said, oh, cool. No worries. The fly is late as well. Cool. Take your time. But you know, as with many managers, they say, oh, I'm not happy with that. You, you're not going to play. You will have a fine and, and stuff like that. But because, Harry, you call him, you said, oh, I'm going to be late. I'm sorry. He said, don't worry. The fly is late. When you play, you are, you are in the obligation to give 200%. No, I think that's so true. Courtney, I know you've got a question yeah. at the tip of your tongue, so let, let's bring you in. Benoit, I'm just listening to you, and I, and I love the way you uh, characterize the managers because you, you're talking about them so um, with, with such respect and love. But can you tell us, uh, especially for listeners as well, what was it like being in the change room the tactical side of information given before a game by your favorite Tottenham manager? <laughs> you, I, I think he, he give you, the manager give you the big line of the tactic, you know? And in the, on the pitch, you try to, you try to modify it, modify it the, with the game, you know? Sometimes you can say, okay, we're going to go on the left and then on the right. But the game is different. The game told you, tell you to go on the left and then on the left. So everything you write on the paper will not going to happen on the pitch. So he give, he give us a big line and then you try to do your best with. Oh, that's that's fantastic because so which manager pulled the creativeness out of you more so you had martin yall you had harry redner you had avv which but which manager allowed for lots of freedom and creativity from yourself harry Renab, definitely harry mm. he's never angry after a player never and he, he can understand every situation Every situation. <laughs> Every situation. <laughs> you know, if permit me to interject at this point, you know, I, I, from what you've been saying, as an individual, you have a lot of, you take a lot to 
maybe the coaches that respect the fact that you may have a mind or that the players also can think. And you like the coaches who maybe don't just see you guys as bodies, maybe, that go out to do a job, but allow you guys also to carry what those big lines are onto the pitch and, and shape them. Um, what I want to ask is, in terms of you as an individual, um, how does this philosophy with what you like in football apply to the other things that you like in, in life and some of the choices that you've maybe made? Um, you start by doing the thing as the manager wants. But in the game, you can see quickly as this is not going to work. So sometimes you need to speak with your, with your midfield to say, okay, you know, Give up because the player, as you are supposed to take, is in your back all the time. So give up, and we're gonna do like that. And I think is what is what is to be professional. A manager is not on the pitch. Sometimes you have to modify some stuff, you know. And he, he, he cannot tell you, okay, you go on the left. Anyway, uh, whatever happened, you go on the left. If something has to be done on the white, you go on the white. Is to be is what I mean by to be professional. You have to think by yourself as well. So in this thinking by yourself, how did maybe this mindset that you seem to like, how did that maybe inform your decision to play maybe for Cameroon, for example, with international football? Um, was this always what you were going to do? If it was maybe from the age of nine or ten, you always wanted to play for Cameroon, or was it something that the professional in you or the thinker in you was able to say, here are my arguments for why I choose to play for Cameroon instead of maybe not even having an international career or playing for France, where you were born, where you live, how was that decision made for you, for example? Um, you know, to, I think as less you have, when less you have in your head, more you are happy. So since young, I used to see as when you have color on your skin, they don't see you as a French person or French people. I don't. And then you grow up and you start to be interested to be interested by your your country from Cameroon, you know. And you realize as okay, the 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 history was not nice for African people. I say okay, it's in the past, you know. But when you realize as today there is a same kind of story by the same people and you realize as your country still under under uh, under control explain to me how and why you want you would like to play for this country who put your country in trouble or who give him a tax and stuff like that. I can't be poor to, 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 to wear a blue shirt and I know this country 
give uh, trouble to 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 my uh, other side, you know. And it's like if I see two guys about to fight, I will be for the for the man who who be beaten. Yeah, the underdog. You support yeah, exactly, the exactly. And it was same for for uh, two choice for between France and Cameroon. Uh, and then I think is if uh, many people used to put a little bit more in your head about the history and stuff like that, I don't think as they, uh, they can be proud to to wear this shirt. But it's my opinion. That's interesting. So could you tell us then a little bit about how you then got to play for Cameroon the first time, uh, what the experience <laughs> was like for you? I, I was going to say, Fr Francis, I, I don't mean to come over you, but because um, I want to hear about that. But the 1998 World Cup, in my mind, is a very fresh memory because that was the first World Cup, Courtney will remember, Bafana Bafana went to. Um, and it was the one that was hosted in France and the one that France won. And when you look at that French team that won in 1998, Zidane, Turam, Desailly, and a host of other black and brown faces made up that team and were the strongest personalities. Did that not resonate with you? You know, when you win, you are French. <laughs> <laughs> when you win, you are French, yeah. But when you lose, you are not French anymore. So that is this kind of... Uh... Hypocrisy, yeah, yeah, hypocrisy, like. yeah. hypocrisy, yeah, exactly. Is what I don't like. So, well, '98 was, yeah, we are all French for six months, a year. That's all. After uh, a black people from Africa, and if better, if you go back in your country. So, so, so you feel it's transactional. You feel like. You're only French if the team is winning and you are bl of black or brown or African heritage or a foreigner. You're only accepted in that context. But you can look uh, Yannick Noah. Yes, Yannick, Yannick Noah. Noah. He used to, to win Roland Garros. He was a French, he was a French tennisman. And the next time he used to lose was as uh, a Cameroonian tennisman. Francis Ngannou, mm -hmm. the MMA, heavyweight, he used to win, was a French MMA fighter. He used to lose, was a Cameroonian. So, you cannot, you cannot be French only when you win. Do you think that's um, still the case now with the last World Cup in France and how many of the players were, that 19 players have non, you know, African heritage, I think. So is that still the case now? Yeah, Pogba and Mbappe hosted you know, them. You know what is funny? When you put the TV, all the problem is immigration, blah, 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 blah. But when they win, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't from immigration. They are French. So uh, give up with this shirt. I prefer to play with Cameroon. Everyone is happy over there. I think a lot of us also forget that after the 1998 World Cup, uh, you had the experience in South Africa after that, in 2010. And the backlash against a lot of those players, again, was deeply rooted in the same conversation. 
But at that point in time, they then said they're going to go back and review and the French team needs to be made French again, almost like, like the guys who were there weren't French. And nobody picked on that. And I think I remember having a conversation with Benno about this at that time and why he felt as strongly as he did. Um, and I think these nuances, only people who live in France, for example, or in England or in Italy, I know we've had a similar conversation with Balotelli about the same kind of challenges you have where your transgressions are highlighted a little bit more around your ethnicity all of a sudden when you do something wrong or slightly left of center. And so again, like to go back to kind of like where we were heading with the conversation, your love then for Cameroon is rooted in this sense that people are more even in the African space, do you think? I know as my country didn't do or don't do strange thing for another country. And I'm cool with that. I'm very happy with that. I cannot play for a country who ex exploit, you understand, exploit? Who exploit another country, and especially a country from my other side. Because I'm, uh, I'm not pro-Africa. I'm just. If I was French and uh, Venezuela, Venezuelan, cool. I can choose French if you want, but I cannot play for France. And I know as the France, yeah, my other side is uh, under under control. I don't like this idea and I can be proud of, at this moment. Benoit, just looking at, you played at Spurs, which is one of the most professional teams in England, and then you now chose to play for Cameroon. What were some of the differences you came across not in terms of the, the teams, but just going from England in the Premier League to play at uh, Cameroon with the national team. Were there any differences you came across? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit, I'm, I'm sure, as a little bit more difficult when you play for Cameroon to, to make a, a very good ca football career. Because when you play for an African team, your value is not the same. You know, you are just, okay, they know I'm born in France, but you are just an African. When you play for France, Belgium, England, the business is in Europe. South Africa, South America players, they are, most of them, they are expensive, you know. Mm. And they go easily in a big club. But when you are African, you have to do two times or three times more. It's like that. Yes. Did you... And, the, you know, look at the... When you do Windows transfer, mm. when you see an African player, 80 million, 19 million, you go, you, maybe you, you will say that, yeah, now there is Salah and uh, money who are over 100 million. But the European player is even more expensive, so they still, they still the the low, the low price. Yes. You know, for a good player, they still the low price. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when you play for an African team, it's a little bit more difficult. And when I used to play football, I used to hear, 
I used to say to my agent, okay, put me in this team. I'm sure I'm, I'm better than this left back. He said, yeah, but, you know, this left back is maybe the future of this national team or this national team. Mm. And the fans need to recognize themselves as well in the team. So definitely it's a little bit more difficult when you play for an African team. Okay. But it's not only the the is not only because of uh, European club is only is is as well the the problem of our country because when you take a player from Cameroon a good player maybe can ten thousand uh, francs CFA twenty fifty I don't know is not a lot. But if in our country we can make a, a championship, a very good championship with a good salary, the player from Africa will start to be more expensive. Mm. So when he can, when he come to Europe, he will he will not cost one million. It will be ten million. Mm -hmm. So then, when you buy an African player, it will start to be a good publicity. Because when even for your shoes, your car, when you buy something low, it's not good, you know. Mm. Every, every, every good thing is expensive. Yes, that's true. That's so true. if we can to learn how to sell our player from Africa with a good price, they will start to have a good price in Europe as well. But because there is no championship in Africa, it's more difficult for an African player. Um, I'm, I'm, I wanted to ask a question about, um, on the same subject, but about your experiences with when you first joined uh, Cameroon, kind of like going back there. Um, there's a difference in cultures of the, the game. There's a difference also in our approach and the management of the game in two spaces. Um, what was the marked difference for you personally, coming out of the European space into the African space? What were the challenges maybe with your first game or your first call up? I don't know how old you were when that happened. And then maybe your first professional major tournament as well. Maybe when you went back to the club and you spoke with um, a teammate from another country maybe in South America or Europe, and they tell you how maybe the World Cup was for them and how it was for you. Could you share us with us maybe some of these differences that you have experienced? You know, this team was perfect for me because like few players used to write about me, I didn't know against who I, who I play and against uh, which player. And when you play with Cameroon, everything is about confidence. When you go on the pitch and you said to a partner, oh, this player is good, he told you straight away, don't worry, we're going to beat him. We're going to beat them. So when I, go, when I go to the first national team, they used to play hard. Every player is strong and hard and very proud to, to wear the shirt of Cameroon. So this team was perfect for me. I can play hard, confidence, 
and was the two uh, the two thing for me to as I as I like and Cameroon was perfect for me because of this. Can you tell us about your first experience? Of maybe was it an under 19 or an under 21? I don't know. Your first time, I think you traveled to, to Nigeria one time with like the Lions or something. They called me when I was 18, maybe. Okay, come to Cameroon. I say, cool, cool. The tournament was about three days. And they take me a, a ticket fly for seven days later. <laughs> I say, and after three days, they said, Oh, thank you very much. You are a good player. See you soon. And they leave me four days in the hotel. In Buja? No, in Cameroon. We go, okay. we, we go back to Cameroon. Thank you, everyone. Uh, see you soon. Wow. And my <laughs> was four days later. That's crazy. <laughs> So what did you do for those four days? <laughs> what? Oh, I, I, I was lucky. I was with uh, Patrick Soufo. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, okay, stay with me. We're going to go around, you know. <laughs> I was very lucky. Very, very lucky. You, um, uh, so from your experience, la last week we spoke to uh, Owen de Gama. And he was saying, you know, the... the the South African FA are, showed a bit of lack of professionalism when they flew the players. They didn't give them the best flights. They made things difficult for them. Did you see that the Cameroon FA helped you? They had good flights, they good hotels. Was that the case? Or was there a bit of professionalism? There was a lack of professionalism from them. Uh, I will speak for me. Sometimes we used to do... Londres, Tanzania, for example, and they sent me an economic ticket. I said, okay, I don't care to fly in economic, but I play Sunday with Tottenham. We play Wednesday with Cameroon, and then I will play Saturday with Tottenham. I cannot lose my place with Tottenham because you, I cannot sleep in my fly. And I think it's a minimum to put me in a good condition to sleep and then to go back to Tottenham and play three days later after 8,000 uh, kilometers. And they understand this very quickly. And then they, they didn't put any player in the uh, economic. And I think it's a minimum. Absolutely. If you're going to do that type of leg and play, you need to rest. And one of the things that Owen was saying to us was what sometimes makes things difficult for African teams is the travel exactly. because of the, the, the flight routes and where you have to go. And suddenly you're finding you're maybe spending two days traveling, depending where you're going to on the continent, which makes it which, which is a reality that you don't have in Europe. Um, because there's so many flight paths, they're so regular, and it's so much smaller. Exactly. On, on the same subject, um, your first World Cup, I believe, was South Africa, yeah. right? How was that experience for you as an individual? 
I know you're fiercely proud African man and a proud Cameroonian man and all of that. Tell us a little bit about what that first World Cup in Africa was for you. It was like 10 years ago now. Um, you know, first, I was very, very proud because it was the first World Cup in Africa, you know. And after the World Cup, I was even more proud because there is no, we had no trouble in the World Cup. Everything was cool. No accident, no, no attentat, nothing. And I was very proud of that, of that. And um, I used to see some solidarity with South African people when, when they see us, when they saw us, because I think uh, they want to, to see an African team to go far in the competition, you know. And uh, was was great, you know, to to see to see people to support us, you know. It's very rare, you know. Not only from Cameroon, you know. Benoit, you actually trained in my hometown in Durban when you were at the World Cup, and I came to one of the schools to watch you train. Um, what was that experience like? training in front of all those kids. Um, did, did, did you enjoy that? Was it different? Is it, did you feel you were giving back to, to South Africa with that? Let, let, me, let me be honest with you. I was cool. Was, I was very happy to see these kids, to see us like a, like a dream for, for them, you know. I was, I was very surprised in the stands as was the white on the left and the black on the right. I was very, very, very surprised. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you hear us in South Africa, yeah, it's Finnish, this kind of thing, and you, and you came to South Africa and you see this, you said, oh, still, I was just uh, sad about it, you know. One of my favorite players of all time is Samuel Eto. I was a Barcelona fan. I thought it was absolute stupidity to sell him to Inter Milan. I thought it was ridiculous. And to see him win the year after with Inter Milan, <laughs> after winning with Barcelona the year before, a part of me felt like this is justice for Samuel and for the silly bit of business that Pep Guardiola did. But I'm intrigued. You've played against with Samuel. You've played with him. What's he like? Is he driven? Is he focused? Is he this machine? Or is he more chilled out, more relaxed? What, what's, what's like being being in, 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 in the presence of one of the greatest African players who's ever lived? Um, from my opinion, he's a cool guy. And he knows a lot about football. Yeah, he knows a lot about football. But you know the problem of the... Human is uh, ego. Yes. And uh, it's not everything who are ready to listen. Someone who plays football, who do the same job as you. And you, you have to listen to him. He plays with the best player in the world, in the best team in the world. For me, it's not a problem to listen to him. But was not the 
was not the, the kind of everyone and that's why it gives you sometimes trouble in the team when someone is over over the world. <laughs> do, do you think it was a case of Samuel being too big for the team when he was with the national team? I think it's a problem of every number one. Mm -hmm. in, uh, in Argentina, in Ivory Coast, in uh, mm -hmm. every every number one is very popular, but have many many trouble as well. Yeah, I think that's similar to you know now in Egypt with Mohammed Salah and his troubles with the FA is because of how big he is. It's similar with every country. Exactly, every number one in every team has this kind of problem. So. It's not easy to be number one. That's why there is no no one in front of you. Everyone is behind you. That's very deep. I want to ask you a question about uh, a tattoo of yours. And you have this tattoo in your body. Could you describe it to us? And remember, we can't get to see it here. And tell us what it means to you as an individual. It's a map of Africa with the flag of Cameroon under with a chain, you know, with two hands, with chain. Yeah. And uh, someone asked me, why you put chain, you know, uh, around Africa? And most of the people don't know, as uh, Africa don't breathe by uh, itself. And when you know a little bit more about how work, the deal between country or between Europe and Africa, you said, ah, oh, we're not going to be free tomorrow, you know. And now you, you start to understand why it's very important as Africaners have to stay poor, you know. That's why, because Afri the chain is because uh, the Africa is still under control. And how do you think we could change this? How do you try to change it as an individual? And when you were playing professionally, I know you never shied away from moments to speak proudly about yourself, about identity, about Africa in general. I know you've been very supportive of our little Best of Africa platform. You are the first player, I have to say, and I share this with you, Zane. First player who told me, if you set it up, I'll be there. And he was there, he honored his word. And uh, I didn't actually think he would make it, to be honest. Uh, but so what do you think your career and what are your thoughts as an individual as what could be done to help Africa through football, for example, or the work that you do? Uh, you know, it's not only about a sportive, but everyone, we will go forward by solidarity, you know, because the people who try to play with Africa, them, uh, the best tactic is to devise, you know? Yeah, so we, we need to, to start by, by to be solidaire. It's very important. Very, very important. You know, when I hear uh, Ghana, 
you know, the, when they was in a, nearly to pass the, the same level of Cameroon, and I heard people, no, we don't want them to, to pass there. We don't care. It's Africa. If they, if they do semi-final, I will, we need to be happy for them and to push them. But when I hear, no, 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 we need them to fall, I say, oh, you understand nothing. You understand nothing to, for us. We, it's not easy. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, job and work to do uh, for this. Uh, Benoit, I like I like your perspective. Uh, I like the way you see things and the the, the freedom of, of of looking at things. But I, I've got to ask you. I read an article about you uh, about a year ago about you you purchase your own football boots off eBay. Yeah. Explain to me why, as a professional, when you could have been sponsored, why would you do that? Okay, is what we is what we talking about a few minutes ago. And I used to speak with a friend who play in Cameroon, who play for Cameroon. We used to play for Cameroon, and um, the sponsor is more gen generous. You understand, generous. Generous. Yeah, yes. generous. yeah with, very generous, yes. With uh, European people and South, Afri South American people. Because their business is in Europe. And the players from South America, they are, they are a good publicity. So they are okay to deal with them. But Africa... They are, yeah, okay, you wear this kind of, uh, we give you sponsor, like that, there is not another sponsor who will give you the shoes, but about the money, is going to be different. And I, when I spoke with my friend, who used to play for Cameroon, he said, I said, but why you sign with them if they pay you less as the guy on the bench? And my friend told me, yeah, but they give me a, uh, they give me money in cash. I say, yeah, maybe you are happy now, but you will not help your little brother in few years mm. who will come because the people who work for this sponsor will see your little brother as you. I say, oh, thank you. You give me money in cash. I am happy with. And it's not good for African people. So that's why I said, okay, you know what? Give your sponsor. I don't need it. There is no reason as you give me a sponsor, I'm stuck with you, and you give less money as the, peop uh, as the man on the bench. Let me buy my shoes. If Monday I want to play with Nike, I play with Nike. If Monday I want to play with Adidas, I play with Adidas. And I, and I am free. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love the fact that you said I am free because players become caged by their contracts exactly uh, and if, and uh, if, if it's a gold cage cool mm. but to give me a little thing and and see me like the little african i say man i'm not a little african i'm proud but i'm not a little african let me free keep your money 
you know, you know, Benoit, I'm so happy that you were able to explain that because when I read the article, that didn't come through in the article. It, it came through that you just like uh, retro old style boots. But I like the, it because sponsor is not cool with me. Yeah, but but to hear your 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 thought behind why you made those decisions, I think is a very powerful point. But and you know, like I spoke about solidarity. Mm. It's difficult to explain to the African player. Mm. Tell them, no, thank you. I prefer to play with black boots. Let me alone. It's very mm. difficult. Very, very, very difficult. Lovely. Lovely. Brother, brother Courtney, can I add something? When I used to take time out to spray off the logos, actually, he said, I like the boots. They're comfortable. I want to play with them, but I'm not doing free advertising either. <laughs> And if you've paid for those boots with your money, you can do what you want with them. Exactly. And nobody can tell you anything. Look, one time or a few times, I used to I used to play one boot white and the other boot was uh, black uh, because uh, the left foot on the white shoes was uh, used. You know? So I said, oh, I, I will not throw this one to the rubbish, I keep going to play with it. It's cool. Benoit, that is one of the most intelligent answers and explanations I've ever had in almost 20 years of journalism that I've had, and I've been blessed. And I think that's really powerful. It's it's, it's amazing that you made that statement, and it's a a compromise I've had to make, but it's for the good. Yeah, it it is. Nobody can buy me and I'm thinking about the next generation, not just about myself. And that is beautiful. But, but the thing here, Zane, that comes across, and I'm, I'm going to refer to the article, is the lady, lazy journalism. That they, they didn't even ask you your perspective. They just thought it's you being eccentric. You, you like these type of, yet you have a huge reason why you've made that decision. But you, you know... It's like, like a few months ago, they start to debate about uh, Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah about uh, the, the Ballon d'Or. Yes, you know? yes. Is what I explained a few years ago already. African players will not have or don't have the same value about business, about everything. So... It's gonna be very difficult for an African player to win it. Look, Samuel Leto, even his uh, transfer, they, mm-hmm. give, they give him 20 million more another player for, for Samuel Leto. If he was Spanish or English, never, he, he, he could be about 100 something million. But because he is African, Okay, give 20 million more another player. It's unbelievable. Let's look at it this way, Benoit. If Samuel Eto was Catalan or Spanish, mm-hmm. he never would have been sold by Barcelona. Never. Never, 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 never. You know what? Can, there is no more than 20, 20 players, 20 African players in the Big four or on the big four in the big four of 
France, English, England, Spanish, Germany, and Italian. Every African player in the is in the in the team from seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, low league, low low place in the championship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like that. We did an episode um, on the perfect ten or the number ten, and how in football, and this was inspired by Francis about how the number 10 is thought to be the thinker in the team, the decision maker. And African players who played in that position were never fully given the respect and given the opportunity to play those roles. Alex Iwobi's uncle, JJ Okocha, was so brilliant, did it at PSG, but had to come and play at a Bolton rather than a United or an Arsenal or um, a Tottenham. And, and to be honest, Ray Paul is still looking for the ball that JJ flicked over his head. <laughs> so, you know, look at what, look at what JJ Okocha did to the great German goalkeeper of the past. Oli Khan? Oli Khan. Oli Khan possibly died <laughs> in different directions looking for... These are iconic players, man. Yeah. No, and, yeah. no you're right, Benoit. And Benoit, we're, we're winding down the interview, but something that you spoke about, I want to continue that theme just for a few questions. You spoke about solidarity amongst players and something that we've seen in the most recent um, games here in England and, and other parts of Europe is some of the athlete activism, the protest that was sparked out of George Floyd's death in the US with Black Lives Matter coming to the fore, people being more aware of the issues with policing, the issues that we as black and brown people face from authorities, um, the unfair attention we get being singled out, um, nobody really standing up and fighting for us. When you see the players before kickoff, I call it protesting. People call it taking the knee, but let's call it for what it is. It is protest. People protesting before kickoff by either taking a knee or putting their fist up or both. Do you, what do you, what do you make of the, the athlete activism that we're seeing um, in the Premier League and also with some of the younger players like Sterling, um, like Sancho, like Weston McKenney, um, like... Um, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, all these young black men being more socially conscious and using their voice to try effect change? Um, it's good, but it's a little bit late, but it's good. And um, you, you know what is sad about it? Is... Um, the, the death of uh, Floyd mm-hmm. is like uh, is like a, a fashion, you know. When everyone starts to say, "Oh, it's not good," everyone starts to to say, oh, "Yeah, yeah, it's not good. You're right. Me too. I care about it. I will be more admirative. You understand? Admirative. More admiring. Yeah. yeah. Appreciative, sorry. There yeah, we go. Yeah, exactly. If you are the first and no one does that as well, 
là, in this way, I can say, yeah, this man, I know he care. But when you said, yeah, Black Lives Matter in the same time as everyone, you, I don't know if you do it because it's your conviction or if you do it to be in the movements. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're doing it while it's trending. Yeah, exactly. But we, it needs to be safe, you know. Mm-hmm. And do you think players, would you encourage them to use their platform to affect change in the world, to to stand up and talk about societal issues, whatever they're passionate about? For this, for this case, yeah. But when you are isolated, and, and you start to explain or give you your opinion, it can not help you in your career. So it's a little bit difficult uh, as a position. Benoit, having listened to you and spoken with you today, and, and I, I just feel that there is a need for your type of thought in a football club. Are, are you thinking of maybe moving into a club to create that change uh to change to change the thing is sure as you need to be part of a, a project and yeah. grow up in this project you can you can be sit in your sofa and said yeah the thing don't change yes so my question is are you looking to be part of a project so you can help make this me yes me yes I think when I am strong, you know, is in Africa. If I do something, will be in Africa, mm. and in and I hope in Cameroon, because as you said, in in Europe is gonna be too difficult. Mm. So Benoit, so I fully understand. You would see yourself coaching at Cameroon, or would you see yourself? involved in the football association in some way you know the problem with coaching is uh, you have to pass uh, some exam yes to get the pro license so someone who like to read the book and stuff like that he gonna pass the exam and he will got the diploma and he can be manager but me I have the feeling, and it's one thing as the other guy who like to read will never have. And that's why I don't start to do exam of coaching and stuff like that. Because I see in football, you have to, to feel it. That's, that's why I, I, I start nothing at the moment. Uh, I'm not in this uh, philosophy. Benny, this is really a bit on a light note. Um, I know you're a very deep guy and you talk a lot about very deep things. But I, you had told me a story about um, your experience during the Brazil World Cup and going back and speaking with Luca uh, about the difference between the Cameroonian delegation and the Croatian. Um, could you share that story with us a little bit, please? Okay, you know, uh, in Brazil was my second uh, World Cup, but you don't know, you don't know well how it's gonna happen, and 
So I asked to Modric after the, the game against Croatia. I said, how it work with, uh, with your team? He said, okay, we do that, we do it. I said, okay, cool, cool, cool. I said, but when you travel, you travel with how many people? He said, oh, 40, 45, maybe 50. Okay, maybe 50. I said, okay. And I start to, to look at my shoes, you know. And he looked at me and said, why? I said, but no, uh, as we are about 200, 250. He said, no ways. I swear, I swear. He said, why? He said, uh, there is one friend who knows another friend. There is uh, uh, Uncle, Uncle Popol. There is Uncle. I said, no. He said, no, but you are too much. I said, yeah. Because after the game, we have to we have to go back to the airport and we have to wait these people to go back to the airport without police. So we, they are in the traffic and we wait two hours, three hours in the flight and we wait them. <laughs> he said, man, you're strong. I said, I know, man. That's why we're from Cameroon, man. <laughs> Benoit, what you are not crucially saying is that Francis was part of the 200 people you were waiting for, right? Yes, Francis. Tell the truth, Francis. Tell the truth. Minister oh, of Parting and No Social Affairs. <laughs> Behind to organize the after parties. <laughs> the reason I asked Benoit to touch on this is because I genuinely think the experiences that he has had, he's shared a lot of these anecdotes with us at different times. And I think it ties into some of the stuff that Mr. Gamo was sharing with us on one of our previous podcasts about these little nuances that make it all the more of a challenge for our teams to be productive on the international stage. And I think um, the little bit of insights we've had today from you, Benny, thank you very much for making yourself available to us as you have them. It's greatly appreciated. I'll let Zane continue, but I just thought, let's have a lighter note, an experience that may be bitter to taste, but it's the truth of what we have. And we have another World Cup coming up in Qatar in 22, and nine African teams going to America or North America in 2026. We can only hope that the insight of gentlemen like yourselves can help our organizations understand that we need to put our good foot forward. So that Modric's little brother, and Benoit's little brother will have a different conversation. They'll be on private jets saying we only moved 22 players and 14 staff. And <laughs> 120 extras who came over. Oh my gosh, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Benoit, Okado, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank Love you for you. your insight. Thank you for your anecdotes. Thank you for making us think. Thank you for making us laugh. I guarantee anyone who's listening to that is going to be smarter for it. Au revoir. Thank you to you. Au revoir. Thank you, Pema. Take it easy, my man. <laughs>